Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. I got a question. How many, what's your biggest memories from being eight years old? How many of you can remember? Eight years old. Does anybody remember eight years old? For some of us, that's like a way long time. Eight years old. When I was eight, eight was for me was my first birthday in Canada. My family moved to Canada. I had my first Canadian. My eight was my first birthday in Canada. Eight was also when I got my first parka. Because when you live in Indiana, you don't need winter coats like that. <laughs> it was also the year I had my first dog sled ride. Oh, yes. One of the perks of living in Fort McMurray back in the 70s, when there was mostly bush and not a lot of city, you had all sorts of fun activities. My first dog sled ride, it was, my, it was where I learned French because you don't speak French in the US, you speak Spanish, sort of. If you watch Sesame Street, you learn Spanish. You don't learn French. But I also discovered what minus 30 degrees Celsius feels like. Woohoo! All sorts of memories from eight years old. I want you to imagine for a minute that you are eight, okay? If you need to close your eyes, you can close your eyes online. You can imagine with us to imagine for a minute that you are eight years old and you come from one of the most powerful, one of the most wealthy, but also one of the most corrupt families in the whole country. Your dad was 16 years old when he had you and he was assassinated eight years later by his servants because he was so evil. But now the only reason he was evil was because that's how he was raised. Because your grandfather was a really evil king. He was so bad, he made the bad guys look good. <laughs> that's how evil he was. He led an entire country into practicing evil. He had put up all over the whole country bizarre, crazy sex objects and sex shrines that people would worship. Oh yes, we're talking weirdness going on. Witchcraft, psychics, sorcery were very prolific. The worst was child sacrifice, which was a very common practice. The whole country, parents who wanted wealth or who needed health would take their babies, their preschoolers, and they would put them in the arms of a hot, these hot bronze arms that were part of a furnace idol that was lit on the inside to blazing hot and your live child would be burnt alive while you were beseeching a God that wasn't real for favor. Your grandfather was psycho. <laughs> it was psycho. But here's the thing, at one point, your grandfather actually turns around he humbles himself, he comes clean, he tries to 
bring reforms into the country, tries to change things, tries to make things right, and he has a little bit of success, except then he dies, and your dad becomes king, and your dad is so bad. He only had two years as king. He was even worse than your grandfather in two years. So bad. So forget about all of the, you know, really crazy, whatever, Netflix series, TV families that are really, forget about Breaking Bad, forget about Ozarks, forget about Animal Kingdom, forget about Narcos. All of these guys have nothing on your crazy family. And then one day, when you are eight years old, you become king. Welcome to the real life story of a guy by the name of Josiah. He was a real king. He, and this is a king we're looking at in our Broken Kings series. King Josiah, literally, he really was eight years old when he became king. And he was actually one of the few good kings in Israel and Judah's in their history. But what had happened is he still had some kings he needed to overcome. And we've been talking about the different kings that we face in life that we need to overcome. Maybe it's the looking king for you. Mike talked about the stock or the slacking king, the slacking king last night or last week. We've looked at the taking king. There's a lot of others, a lot of kings in life that we need to overcome. And the king, even though he was the king that this king needed to overcome, it was the lurking of what I like to call the unholy trinity of guilt, shame, and condemnation. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. Where you find one, you usually find the others. Now you might be thinking, how much guilt does an eight-year-old actually have to deal with? Well, usually not a lot. And on a surface level, probably not much at all. But I think if we're all honest, we all deal with this unholy trinity in some way, shape, or form. True? Guilt, shame, condemnation. And usually, we're, we're, sometimes we're conscious of it, and sometimes we're not, because our typical way of dealing with it is just to forget it, push it aside, I don't want to think about it. But so the influence is there in very real ways. For example, think about, you know, whenever you, think about the guilt that kind of surfaces every time you see that certain someone that you had a falling out with or you let down. Or maybe the shame that kind of pokes itself and kind of pokes you when you, when you think about all of your friends who seem to move forward in life and you can't seem to keep a job, find a mate, <laughs> or get out of debt. You know, or maybe it's a shame of, you know, that secret that you just want to keep buried and hope nobody finds out about. Or maybe it's condemnation over uncontrolled anger. Or your words that you didn't mean to say, but they just kind of keep coming out and you wish you wouldn't have said them. Or, you know, maybe that website you can't avoid. What is the difference? Well, there is a big, they're very similar. Guilt, shame, and condemnation. They all have a similarity to them, but they're very different. See, shame is about my who. It's that, it's kind of like that feeling where I just, you feel just, whatever the feeling is, I feel it's that kind of that, which you, you, this is who you are. 
Who do you think you are that you would deserve or that you should be able to? You're so, and fill in the blank, you're so ugly, you're so inadequate, you're such a failure, you're such a, a fake, you're such a, you know, you're, you're unloved, you're such, you know, whatever, fill in the blank. Shame is about my who, but guilt is about my do. And that's where it's that, that sense of, you did, oh, they're going to find out about it. And then they're not going to want to be your friend anymore. How many of you know that voice I'm talking about? It's that, that feeling, it's that guilt. It's like, I remember starting, this is like that, that nagging little voice of, oh, you did. You think you're going to do something great, but what about this? You did. You did. What if they find out? God's not going to forgive you. But condemnation Condemnation is a little bit trickier because condemnation, it's, a, it's, like a, it's more that voice of judgment. It's that voice of disapproval that we hear kind of loud and in our head. It's kind of like that shaking finger. That disapproval goes like this. This, you deserve blank because of blank. You should be punished. Or this thing that's going on right now in your life, this is punishment for that. And see, the thing about condemnation, oh, it's so tricky. We'll jump into that a little bit, but I want to jump in. We're going to jump into Josiah's story. Because his story is quite far. For a kid who becomes king with a family history that would make anybody feel very shameful, guilty, all sorts of condemnation. He had a different response. And I want to read, we're going to just skim through his story in 2 Kings 22 and 23. Don't worry, we're not reading two chapters. <laughs> Although it would be good, you'll want to read them. You know what, this is what's crazy about the Bible. You think there is so much, the, the whole line of Israel and Judah, their kings, it is crazy stories. It's like, it makes the stuff like the, you know, the Real Housewives or any of these, these shows that you're just like, that are so crazy. It's like, you guys are actually real people? I, yeah, I don't think so. Like, this is real stuff. Josiah, starting in verse 1 of chapter 22, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. He ruled for 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother, and where he, his mother's name is, father's name, blah, blah, blah. He lived the way God wanted. He kept straight on the path, blazed by his ancestor David, not one step to either left or right. One day, everyone say one day. One day in the 18th year of his kingship, Josiah sent the royal secretary to the temple of God with instructions. Go to Hilkiah, the high priest, have him count the money that's been brought to the temple of God that the doormen have collected. Have them turn it over to the foremen who are managing the work on the temple of God so they can pay the workers who are repairing the temple. What was going on is they were starting to do some renovations on God's house that had started to get run down. And so the secretary that Josiah sends, he sends to the high priest, so the secretary gives the high priest these instructions, he says, listen, keep the, here, you know, make sure the repairs, make sure the renovation work keeps going, this is the money where you're supposed to get it, get it to these workers, make sure it goes. The high priest, he, he reported to the secretary, he said, guess what? I've just found the book of God's revelation that was their way of saying, I just found the book of the law. I just found the scriptures. I just found the Bible. I found it in the temple. 
He gave it to Shaphan and Shaphan read it. Now, I think this is pretty interesting because things had gotten so bad in the country, they lost their holy book. They didn't have copies running around like we do. <laughs> they don't have diversion. There was like one copy. It was scrolls. It was kept in the temple for safekeeping. But, and they would bring it out, but they completely lost it. And here it was in the middle of renovations. Can you imagine some guy with a sledgehammer or something, all of a sudden, boom, it's just like, what the heck is this dusty old book or these dusty old scrolls? It was the Bible. The royal secretary came back to the king and gave him an account of what had gone on. Your servants bagged up all the money that was collected for the temple. They gave it to the foreman to pay the temple workers. And oh yeah, the high priest gave me a book. And it says, Shaphan began to read it to the king. And when King Josiah heard what was written in the book, he ripped his robes in dismay. And then he called for the high priest and a few other men. And he said, go and pray to God for me and for the people, for all Judah. Find out what we must do in response to what is written in this book that has just been found. God's anger must be burning furiously against us. Our ancestors haven't obeyed a thing written in this book. They followed none of the instructions directed to us. So the priest and the other men went to the prophetess Huldah, and basically what she said, they said, this is what the king said. We found this book. We read. And what they were reading was the book of Deuteronomy. And it, when the book of Deuteronomy was God speaking through Moses to the people where God was outlining all of the requirements from these newly released slaves of how they were to live in God's blessing and how they were to avoid dying under the curse. Josiah hears it and realizes, oh my gosh, we have been doing everything we shouldn't have been doing. And the prophetess Hilda, she basically says, yeah, all the curses that are written in that book, they're all true. It's all going to happen just like God said. The whole nation. But also tell the king of Judah since he sent you to ask God for direction and tell him this, God's comment on what he read in the book, because you, Josiah, took seriously the doom of judgment, I spoke against this place and people, and because you responded in humble repentance, tearing your robe in dismay and weeping before me, I'm taking you seriously. This is God's word, God's promise to you. I'll take care of you. You'll have a quiet death and be buried in peace. You won't be around to see the doom that I'm going to bring upon this place. And the men took their message, her message, back to the king. Now you'd think if Josiah was any other man, it'd be, oh, thank God. You know, you got a king, you got power, you got money, you got everything. You got freedom to pretty well do whatever you want. You'd think he would have been like, oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm free. I don't have to worry about all these problems. God's going to give me peace. And he could have just gone on in life, but Josiah didn't. He went crazy. This is what he did. 
Chapter 23, the king acted immediately, assembling all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He proceeded to the temple of God, bringing everyone in his train, the priests and the prophets and the people. Basically what he did, he got everybody together. They read the book. Josiah made a commitment and he said, basically, guys, this is all changing. Everything is going to be different from now on. You see this book right here? We have not done a single thing right. We are going to be in a heap of trouble really quick. So this is what's going to happen. Everything is different. We're going to worship the one true God now. But this isn't all he did. This, he, this is where he goes crazy. So this is what happens. He goes in, he sends his associates to the priest, the temple sentries, to clean house. They go through the entire temple, and they start ripping out all of these sex objects that have been set up in the temple of God for people to worship. They start ripping things down. They start overturning all these altars that have been set up to all of these false gods, all of these other gods. He starts ripping. He starts smashing them. Listen to some of the language. He goes crazy. He swept in a stroke, he swept the country clean of the polluting stench of the round the clock worship of Baal, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and the so called cosmic powers. He took, here we go, he took the obscene phallic Asherah pole from the temple, burned it, ground up the ashes, tore out the rooms of the male sacred prostitutes that had been set up in the temple. He these are words, he swept. He smashed, he smashed, he demolished the idol that they put the burning, the children in and would let them be burned to death. He hauled up, he burned, he did a lot of smashing, he did a lot of burning, he did a lot of destroying everything that was evil, everything that was idolatrous, everything in the land that had been completely against God's plans for his people. It was all smashed, burnt, destroyed, and completely annihilated. And then the king commanded the people, celebrate the Passover to God, your God, exactly as directed in this book of the covenant. You know, if you're not familiar with the Passover, the Passover was a very significant celebration. And it was the start of Israel's freedom when they were in Egypt. And the night God delivered them, God had given instructions to Moses to tell the people, this is what you need to do. You're going to have a meal. It's going to call it Passover. You're going to get a lamb, cute little lamb, spotless little lamb. You're going to kill it. You're going to eat it. And you're going to put some of its blood on the doorposts of your house. And you're all going to stay in your house because the angel a death is going to come through this whole land. And the firstborn of every living creature is going to be killed. But you're going to be safe. And after that happened, that's when God's people were released out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And part of the book of Deuteronomy that Josiah was reading was God's instructions for the Israelites to every year celebrate the Passover. So what was so powerful about the Passover is what it represented. It was pointing to Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, the Passover lamb. 
But for decades, de actually more than decades, it was centuries, because listen to this. This commanded Passover had not been celebrated since the days that the judges judged Israel. None of the kings of Israel and Judah had celebrated it, not even good King David. Centuries, they have failed to celebrate the most important feast, the most important celebration in the land because it was a remembrance of how God had delivered them and brought them freed. Josiah scrubbed the place clean, trashed all of the spirit medium, sorcerers, domestic gods, carved images, everything. Josiah did this in obedience to the words of God's revelation written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the temple of God. There was no king to compare with Josiah, neither before nor after. A king who turned in total and repentant obedience to God, heart and mind and strength, following the instructions revealed to and written by Moses. The world would never again see a king like Josiah. Isn't that crazy? You know, I just, I love this story for so many reasons. Now, what was it about Josiah that enabled him to overcome the things that were lurking in his life? How was he able to overcome things like guilt and shame and condemnation? There was one thing in two different ways. God's word was the key for Josiah, Josiah's freedom. God's word was key. The first thing, number one, see, God's word named Josiah. This is where it gets really freaky. When Josiah was cleaning house all across the land, they came to a place and Josiah got a really crazy idea. He knew the way that you brought, the way that you could like desecrate any kind of old, like any, uh, any altar, anything was to put the bones of dead people on it. So he had people to starting to dig up graves so he could burn the bones and scatter them all over these idol worship places to just make a statement, yeah, these things will never be used again. And they came to this one grave, and they're like, hey, what's in there? And they're like, oh, it's the bones of a man of God. And it was referring to a prophet who had come on the scene at one of the first off-ramps that Israel took in following God. And it was a reign of another king named King Jeroboam. He'd set up a false altar, and it started to lead God's people away from following God. And when Jeroboam did that, a man of God, a prophet showed up, and this is in 1 Kings 13. Listen to this. The man of God said, altar, altar, God's message. A son will be born into David's family named Josiah. The priests from the shrines who are making offerings on you, he will sacrifice on you. Human bones burned on you. This is the proof that God gives. You know when that was spoken? Almost 350 years before Josiah was born. Isn't that crazy? 
by name. And see, this was the thing about Josiah, what enabled him to overcome God's word. His identity was rooted in God's word, in who God said he was, in who God declared him to be. But here's the other thing. God's word also freed him. God's word brought freedom to his soul. When he heard it, he responded. He responded it's like, oh my gosh, this is not right how we've been living. He said he ripped his robes and he was humble and he was repentant. And see, that's when he read this. He's like, oh my gosh, we've been doing none of this. We're, we're doomed. We're doomed. But see, this is where something came alive in him. God's word convicted Josiah's heart. And see, this is where the conviction and condemnation thing gets kind of tricky. Because conviction and condemnation can kind of sound similar. Because see, again, how do we usually deal with stuff when we feel guilty about things? Or we feel shame or condemnation? We hear that voice. It's just like, oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I know I shouldn't have done that. And you know what? Because we're human, we don't want to feel bad stuff, Right? So we just push it away. We just try to silence it. We just try to drink it away, or we try to substance it away, or we try to relationship it away, or we try to make money away, or we try to make a whatever. We try to do something, just push it all away, get rid of it. But see, conviction, oh man, we need it. See, the difference between conviction is there's a voice of hope. See, listen to this. This is what Josiah would have read. What he would have heard read to him. Deuteronomy 4. God's promise to his people, but even there, in your place of being taken away because you didn't follow my guidelines, even there, if you seek God, your God, you'll be able to find him. If you're serious, looking for him with your whole heart and soul. When troubles come and all these awful things happen to you, in future days, you will come back to God, your God, and listen obediently to what he says. Your God, who is above all a compassionate God. In the end, he will not abandon you. He won't bring you to ruin. He won't forget the covenant with your ancestors that he swore to them. See, the difference between conviction and condemnation is conviction always brings hope. There's a hope for change. Condemnation just gets you focused on you and all you've done. Condemnation gets you to try to run from God, run far from God, run far from God's people. But God's conviction, it draws you in. And see, we can only receive freedom and healing when we acknowledge how badly we need it. See, that's not to say, well, I'm, I'm fine. Like, I didn't do anything wrong. I feel good about it. See, you can't get free unless you acknowledge, I am guilty. <laughs> I have an issue. I got stuff. This happened. This was done to me. This is what's going on. We need that. And that's the difference. See, I think condemnation is what God's word sounds like coming through the mouth of the enemy. Because there's an element of, yeah, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're, this is your bad, but it's like, no, but God's like, no, I want to heal you. And see, a lot of times, we, we need to acknowledge we need it. We can't begin to heal. We can't begin to walk in freedom. We can't begin to walk in the fullness of who we are as God's children, as real human beings, until we acknowledge, I am guilty. 
God, I need you. I need you. And see, sometimes we just want God to come in, like, to do, like, surgery. God, just take this yucky part out of me. God, just remove that. Just get rid of it. God, would you just, I just don't want to think about it anymore. I don't want to think about it anymore. And you know what? God, God wants to be, he wants more of a partnership with us. He doesn't, he, he works more like a physical therapist, and he comes in, and he's like, okay, this is how we're going to walk this out. This is what we're going to do. This is how you're going to begin to be, be, be whole and live in freedom. So let's bring this story home. How does this actually relate to us? Well, first off, Josiah isn't a picture of do what he did. Josiah is actually a picture that points to Jesus. It's a picture pointing to everything that Jesus has already com- done to completely with our guilt and our shame. Because see, Josiah, where it says he ripped his robes in dismay, Jesus was stripped of his robe to take our shame. Oh, it gets even better. Josiah, where he sent the men, it says, to seek God for me. Go and pray to God. Go and seek to God. He sought God in order to find out what do we need to do. Jesus obeyed God in all that he did. See, Josiah was humble and had a repentant heart, but Jesus humbly went to the cross for us. He tore down, Josiah tore down the idols that stood between God and the people, but Jesus tore down the wall of sin that stood between God and people. Josiah, he destroyed the places and practices of evil, but Jesus came, it says, to undo all the works of the evil one. Jesus is so much better. Josiah was the first king to celebrate the Passover. Jesus was the last king to fulfill the Passover. This is all pointing to what Jesus has done. I love 2 Kings 23, 25. There was no king to compare with Josiah, neither before nor after. A king who turned in total and repentant obedience to God, heart and mind and strength, following the instructions revealed to and written by Moses. The world would never again see a king like Josiah except for Jesus. There is no king to compare with Jesus. A king who lived in total obedience to God, heart, mind, and strength, completely fulfilling the law. The world will see again King Jesus when he comes back to make everything all new. So it all points to Jesus. How do we overcome guilt and shame and condemnation? God's word came alive to Josiah when he received and responded it. You know what it means for us? God's word in the flesh, Jesus Christ, he came and completely dealt with our guilt and our shame and our condemnation. I want to read. So powerful. Romans 8, 1 to 4, with the arrival of Jesus the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous low-lying black cloud. You know what that black cloud is? Guilt, shame, condemnation. 
A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air, freeing you from a faded lifetime of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. I love this. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He entered the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. And then in Ephesians 2, and I'm reading, this is a mashup of a couple different versions, but listen to this. We were all guilty, but God, everyone say, but God. But God, online, can you say that as well? But God, but God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. It's God's word that overrides the guilt, that overrides the shame, that overrides condemnation. That is how we overcome. See, is there a scripture, is there a scripture or a spiritual practice or a habit that we can engage in to actually live in this kind of freedom? Yes, it's getting this into us. It's having a regular relationship with God through his word. Eating it, reading it, not eating it literally, maybe, but you know, God's we're getting it into us, meditating on it, reading it over again, studying it out, digging it, listening to it. We gotta get this. We can't, the voice of guilt and shame is so loud. There, this is the only thing that stands against it. Counseling works, good encouragement from others works, renewing your mind works, but it only lasts so long if you don't have this as your foundation. We need a new hunger for the Word of God. God does not use this to bash us over the head. He comes, see, guilt gets us all focused on us. I'm so bad, it's like you're bad, but you know what it is? This is what gives us freedom. God's Word enables us to say, yes, I am guilty, but God, Yes, I am guilty. Yes, I have the shame. Yes, I've done this. Yes, I stand condemned. But God, God has taken all of that into himself. And on the cross, he dealt with it once and for all. Guilt, shame, condemnation. He dealt with it once and for all. And he says, look at what I've done. That's what he would invite us to embrace him and what he has done. I want us to stand. Church online, you can stand too if you'd like to. I want to pray. And I don't know what aspect, whether it's something very near, something recent that's happened or you've been done to you, you've been engaged in, or maybe you're eight years old and you are born a human being with guilt and shame and condemnation because that's what we have been born into. But God, but God in his love, but God in his mercy, but God in his grace has brought us freedom. Amen. 
Can we pray? I want us to pray this prayer. In church online, you can pray with us. It's a prayer of saying yes to this gift that Jesus has given us, this gift of salvation, this gift of a new start. It's, it's saying, yes, God, I want to live in that freedom. I want to live in that reality of all guilt and shame and condemnation completely dealt with in Jesus. God, help me to live in this new life that you have for me. Can we pray? And if you've never said yes to following Jesus now, today is a great day to do that. Let's pray out loud. You can pray with me in church online. I want to invite you to pray as well. Just say, Jesus, thank you for coming and being the solution, the answer to the guilt, to the shame, to the condemnation over my life. Jesus, I say yes to following you, to your freedom, and to a new start today. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God. Can we give him thanks? We give him praise for what he's done. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.